Hey there, folks. This is Kristen Williams with Trans Advocate, and today we have the regular podcast crew, which is Robin Mack and Alexis, and that was not me making noise earlier. <laughs> sure. And so, you know, hey, how are y'all feeling today after a certain election? Oh, the Alabama election? The Alabama election. I think the SPCA should have done something to help the horse. <laughs> the horse he ran in on. <laughs> yeah, the horse seemed to be trying to get away. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. It, it, it looked less than totally under control. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm A, surprised that, you know, I'm happily surprised that uh, the non-pedophile won. But at the same time, I looked at the mini- hundreds of thousands of people that had the choice between pedophile and non-pedophile and went mm, pedophile. That's the part where I was really disturbed. I'm like, okay, there's a win and there's still a lot of work to do. But, you know, it, how much do you want to bet that the people who voted for the pedophile are the ones who think that the bathroom bill is just a great idea? Oh, for sure. Hands down. That's a good gamble. We went over this last time. They're just talking about what they do. <laughs> Right, that's just and what they do. Figure that out. I'm, I just don't They're just saying so what they do. It. I'm not sure why them protecting the bathroom. Oh, they don't want us to see because they think we'll tell people. Uh, that's right. Yeah, they're the ones that keep it. bringing it up. I, I, I mean, it's actually starting to make a lot more sense to me now because <laughs> they're warning us what they're going to do, and the reason they need to protect the bathrooms against us is because we might tell people. Yeah, that's they tell right. us exactly what happens. They tell us exactly how it's going to go. I mean, I don't see any women, you know, actually saying that this has ever really, you know, been a problem for them. So therefore, we must listen to they. They know. They know what's going on. Yeah, Maybe there's something because, there. Because they have it all planned. And if all that evidence, I mean, they're the ones caught in the bathroom. And speaking of, you know, the bathroom bill nonsense, uh, I saw today that uh, I think it's the San Antonio newspaper, I think it's called The Register, they had this long kind of deep dive into their belief that when the Republicans come back, they're going to be at it with the bathroom bill agenda yet again. They aren't very creative. They, they keep coming back with the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. And eventually they probably will get one passed and then we'll spend a lot of money going to court and the state will spend money and they'll waste a whole bunch of it. And they're constantly saying we can't afford to pay for schools because we don't have any money. Oh, wait, you said something about schools. Like what else would we do with our time besides all these other bathroom bills they could create? They're, they're not creative. Maybe we should give them some ideas where there's other need in Texas. I mean, surely there's got to be something else we can spend well, our money on and focus on. Hopefully we're getting ready to do that because we have a whole lot of people that are really new to a lot of this that are running for office because they're fed up with it. <laughs> yes. And when I say a whole lot, I'm talking about a lot of people running. <laughs> well, that was one of the things that the I think the register noted was that, uh, you know, in one of the hearings the people against the bathroom bill, they they had hearings until early in the morning, just went on and on and on. And I think that's the one that um, one of the committee members, I don't remember her name, but called uh, Dr. Meyer, Colt Meyer. Uh, oh, Hughes. Uh, yeah, said that, uh, oh, you're, you're a, what is, a, a pervert? A pervert. Yeah. Well, she didn't yeah. say you, she just said the word. Yeah. But but yeah, that that's the general consensus. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, part of it is, 
it doesn't matter what she thinks or anything else. But there is a certain level of decorum that if you're actually running a hearing or you're mm-hmm. on the, you know, the Senate, you should maintain. You know, she does have people running against her. I, <laughs> I don't know. In fact, everyone seems to have people running against them this time. There's a lot of Democrats running. Uh, some of the races have ridiculous numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, if you really look at it right now, well, as soon as they get around to seating the new Alabama senator, which could take a while because they're delaying. Oh, yeah. I heard that they have to, like, wait until the uh, Trump wins election again to let the people decide. <laughs> I think that's what the they were saying, right? Yeah, yeah that's what they said. <laughs> but that's not the way it works. I mean, they do. They, they do have to wait for all the counties to certify the election. Then the state, the Secretary of State has to certify it. And then the Senate has to receive the certification. And then they have to decide to swear him in and seat him. Well, at that point, it's 4951. Right. And I don't know how we can even talk about Trump winning again when we don't like him right now. <laughs> I mean, it's not like he's got a good thing going for him. Well, well, it's, you know, never underestimate the Democrats' ability to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Whoa. And if you happen to see the DNC chair <laughs> at, during the election in Alabama... You're sort of like, oh, here we go again. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. going to do the same things that haven't worked before. And do so, we know how many people in Alabama did not vote? Because we always I, talk about, yeah, well, you know, know, where the votes came in on one side <clears throat> or the other. But I always wonder who didn't vote. I know that the NAACP <laughs> the NAACP did a lot of groundwork, a whole lot of groundwork, Mm -hmm. uh, organizing carpools and getting people out to the polls and getting people registered. They did a lot of on-the-ground work that HRC gladly Mm -hmm. took the credit for, so that's that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and the black vote did turn out, which is a wonderful thing, and I hope that that sort of leads more people to turn out across the country. Absolutely. And, and, And it was very reliable in basically saying they didn't want someone who'd been kicked off their Supreme Court twice and is accused of being a pedophile. Uh, <laughs> I think that's fair. I, I mean, I think that you don't get to run for certain seats if you've done some some certain things. And I mean, when you say that you represent the people and you turn around and like in the state of Texas, call them pedophiles or, you know, it's, it's kind of like seat abusing. I don't know, you know. Uh, and, and, and to me... Some of these people do represent the people, unfortunately, because that's what right. the people seem to like. Uh-huh. Um, but what about that, the other people? That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot of people who they don't represent. I've heard a lot of people claim, uh, you know, the, the Republican Party can never again claim to be the par- party of morality or of justice or of any of those things sure ever can. again. They lie. Well, that's that's my point. <laughs> I'm like, no, they will always say that, and there will always be a group of people that will be absolutely willing to buy into it and believe it. And these days, there's a group of people that are willing to come out and you know talk about the trauma that they were caused. I mean, Trump has 19 women coming out saying that what he was an abuser of them, and <clears throat> yeah, apparently all of that's it. fake news because mm. Trump says so. Mm. And quite honestly care less because mm-hmm. he can't really be touched because he's president right well now Other than he is. we we Civil elected court. him i mean you know he, he can be impeached then he won't be president mm-hmm. if that happens fine then you go that way the thing about it though is that it's everyone else that can be touched and i think that's mm-hmm. those are the ones that interest me more right and and you know i find it interesting that i look at uh 
you know, a lot of the news programs and that sort of stuff. And they're like, well, you know, we all know that if something's going on with Trump, you, you got to watch what he's doing over on the other side rather than, you know, focus on this. And they immediately focus on the stuff they told you not to watch. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm like, then why are we doing what you just told us that we shouldn't do? <laughs> and, and the next hour is doing what, you know, they said we shouldn't do. And I'm sort of like, well, okay. I, I will say this, you know, I think that, uh, I saw like a concession, not a concession, a more of a congratulation tweet that Trump sent out to. Oh, yeah, like yeah. he did that one? Uh, well, yeah, right. That's exactly <laughs> what I thought. I went, wow, that sounds almost like a he, decent he person wrote it. that. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean, his staff wrote that yeah, when he wasn't I'm looking. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't check to see what he did this morning, but I bet the real ones came out about six this morning. <laughs> I like the tweet that came out about saying the Pentagon says it will allow transgender people to enlist in the military beginning January 1st, despite Trump's opposition. Well, you know, the the courts basically said, let them enlist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so, you know, government, what is your proof that trans people shouldn't enlist? And all the government could do is go and look at, well, we have this government study by the Rand Corporation that says that. There's no problem. (laughs) And it really feels strange to have the Joint Chiefs and the Secretary of Defense on our side. I mean, seriously, (laughs) these people have not been on our side a lot of the time. (laughs) But they're military. They go do their thing. Whatever the results are, that's what it is. Right. (laughs) So, um, as you know, we have this, uh, we've, we've been doing this new segment where we have, um, you know, we break for uh, Gwen or Autumn's column, but we don't have that this month. That, that we won't regularly have that until January. So instead, we have a, a column, an opinion piece that came out on the Trans Advocate a little while back, and we wanted to present it here for you today. So take a listen. The Real Housewives of Gilead. The Handmaid's Tale isn't as fictional as you thought. Written by members of the Trans Advocate Writers Collective. The Handmaid's Tale isn't as fictional as you thought. For most Americans, The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood is a novel about a dystopian future where women are chattel whose only purpose is to procreate. For a surprising number of American women in positions of cultural, legal, and legislative power, it is an instruction manual on how to remake America in the image of Gilead. They want a future where not only is abortion illegal under all circumstances, so are all forms of birth control for women other than the rhythm method. They pine for a godly America where homosexual acts are a felony and where LGBT leaders and abortion providers are arrested and put to death. Punishments, including flogging, are meted out in public. Attendance of Christian religious services will be mandatory. Supportive parents of LGBT youth would lose custody of their children and be prosecuted for child abuse. It would be easy to dismiss these statements as nothing more than fringe elements, except they're not. They come from, respectively, one of the most popular Christian bloggers on Facebook, her husband, female elected officials in a state house, and top women at the Family Research Council, or the FRC. 
The FRC is a multi-million dollar anti-LGBT hate group with an expensive office on G Street in downtown Washington, D.C., and was well represented on the Trump administration transition team. Many of these views are also pushed by mainstream conservative media outlets, and the authors are frequently women. The Federalist is perhaps the best normalizer of radical opinions of women who want a world like the one described above. Its founder and publisher, Ben Dominic, appears on CBS's Face the Nation most Sundays. The Federalist goes to some length to feature women writers whose position on abortion, birth control, transgender people, Islam, and religion are in line with the Gileads and the individuals cited above. One essay asserted that women who choose not to have children are both selfish and have a mental disorder. Frequently, the online publication steps right up to the line of suggesting that various groups, such as transgender people and abortion providers, should be eliminated, but do not actually say it or how it would be done. In social media, perhaps no one better exemplifies the real housewives of Gilead more than activist mommy, a.k.a. Grace Elizabeth Johnston. She has a Facebook page with over 150,000 followers and a popular YouTube channel. She's married to Dr. Patrick Johnston, more on him later, and has 10 homeschooled children. She is best known for her video diatribes against transgender people, Muslims, the women's marches, feminists, acceptance of gay people, abortion, and birth control. She regularly pickets Planned Parent clinics and posts pictures of gay people along with the caption Leviticus 18.22, which got her a temporary ban from Facebook and made her into an instant online martyr of Christianity, of course. She advocates using your womb as a weapon for God. She also goes to pride parades in Columbus, Ohio, to tell queer people their abominations worthy of death unless they become Christians exactly like her. Her husband is even more radical. He opposed all abortions and is leading a crusade to convince people to try and carry ectopic pregnancies, the number one cause of maternal mortality in the developing world, to term based on an antidote in a journal article from 1994, which was later proved to be completely falsified. He recommends executing everyone on death row immediately and making homosexuality, immigration violations, and providing abortions or aiding those who do a capital crime. The sentence under a Patrick Johnston administration will be carried out immediately via biblical methods like stoning or crucifixion. Other lesser crimes like breastfeeding in public will be punishable with public flogging. He's also a doctor who opposes most vaccinations, including polio, MMR, and pertussis, and recommends a prayer as preferred treatment for depression. He also suggests that people are mentally ill if they don't want to own guns and that people are fat because they are sinful. He states that if you do not spank your kids, you do not love them. Dr. Johnston has also published racist articles stating that the greatest threat to the African-American community is the sin of African-Americans. It would be easy to dismiss him but he ran a credible campaign for District 94 of the Ohio State House in 2008, and his novel is being turned into a movie starring Kevin Sorbo. He wrote another dystopian novel, which envisioned how a glorious new Gilead would arise in a clash of cultures, 
where the superiority of the principles of Christianity prevail over a plethora of vicious opponents. Like the Duggars, the Johnsons are apparently part of the Quiverful movement, which emphasizes submission to your husband in all things, including sex. Thus, the Johnstons do not believe consent is necessary between spouses, especially when the husband wants sex. Marital advice obtained from their family blog states, don't you want your wife to have sex with you, even if she doesn't feel like it? Well, do unto others what you have them do unto you. We have to do things we don't feel like doing all the time. It's not hard to imagine these spouses preparing themselves like Alfred did for the commander. The Quiverful Movement, which is linked to the Southern Baptist Convention, also encourages husbands to use violence to chastise their wives and children when they are disobedient. Bruce Ware, the president of the Evangelical Theological Society, told a Texas audience that domestic violence stems from women's lack of submission. Women are also forbidden from working outside the home, which Albert Muller, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, had to tap dance when discussing his support for Sarah Palin to a quiverful crowd. The effects of living in such an environment are described in chilling detail by those who escaped. The entire premise of submission, violence, and isolation creates a dysfunctional relationship dynamic, which frequently results in sexual, mental, emotional, and spiritual abuse. The lack of accountability for men when committing even the most heinous forms of abuse was made evident when it was revealed Josh Duggar, who was working for the Family Research Council at the time, had raped four of his younger sisters and one other girl. He was never prosecuted for these crimes after a family friend, and also part of the quiver for movement, and the police department gave him a stern talk. This brings us back full circle. There are plenty of women working towards bringing about their own brand of Gilead. The activist Mommy and her husband are perhaps the best examples. They have millions of views on YouTube and hundreds of thousands of followers. Their views and the policies they are pushing for are now deep within the conservative mainstream. Conservative mass media outlets like the Federalists support their political positions. So does the Family Research Council, which included prominent staffers who were a part of the Quiverful Movement and numerous high-ranking members of the FRC on the Trump transition team, including Ken Blackwell, K. Cole James, Ken Klikowski, and Ed Meese. Vice President Mike Pence has had the full-throated support of the FRC for his efforts to ban abortion, birth control, and laws protecting LGBT people in Indiana and the U.S. House of Representatives. Additionally, Tony Perkins, president of the FRC, wrote the draconian social platform of the Republican National Committee's policy at the 2016 convention, which includes a demand that lawmakers use religion as a guide when legislating, teaching the Bible in schools, banning transgender people from bathrooms, declaring pornography a public health crisis, a constitutional ban on same-sex marriage, and a personhood amendment effectively banning all abortion and almost all birth control. In short, the radical views of the Johnstons are popular with a staggering number of people and well represented in conservative media, the Republican platform, Congress, and the Trump administration. They are working towards a world where being gay is illegal and transgender people are gone. They desire a country where women with an ectopic pregnancy face a choice of an excruciating death or fleeing to another country and never being able to return to the United States because they would face charges for murder. They want a country where women cannot work outside the home, husbands can strike their wives and children, and where women cannot refuse sex within marriage or even decide whether or not to have children. 
They long for a country where fundamentalist Christianity is the official state religion and complications during pregnancy are likely to be fatal. One cannot help but think Patrick and Elizabeth Johnston would be more than happy to fill the roles of Commander Waterford and Serena Joy. But that's not the scary part. There were always ambitious and ruthless religious zealots like this, regardless of the religion or culture. The scary part is that their views are now the mainstream for the party that controls almost every facet of our government at the state and federal level. The scary part is that most women don't know what their goals are and what the end state looks like in practicality. The scary part is that women who really don't want to live in Gilead are cheering her on because she hates feminists, Muslims, and queers just like they do. The scariest part is how clearly we can see Gilead from here. And we're back. So, yeah, that that's uh, all about the Handmaiden's Tale and how uh, some of the right-wing groups that you see out there, so, frankly, some of them that were supportive of Roy Moore, um, don't sound too off from the Handmaid's Tale. Um, well, the problem that, that concerns me is that in certain areas, uh, things like this happen. For real. Now, on the other side, it does remind me of a lot of the Gorian things. The, the what? The Gorian lifestyles. What, tell me about that. What yeah, is that ba- Basically, there was this fictional account of sort of a counter-earth uh, called Gore. And um, there were, I was trying to remember the author. It escapes me at the moment. But there were a series of books, and they talked about living in you know, the Gorian lifestyle, and women were not really treated all that well. They were there to serve their masters, if you will, and, and there were different kinds of silks. And you know, generally, they were either... Um, sex slaves or other kind of slaves, etc., mm. with the exception of a few of the women who could be free women, but not very many. And it was, you know, a, a true alternative lifestyle books. But then there are some people who have adopted it. Oh Lord! Well, that's that's the thing um, I, that we've got this quiverful movement going on that is quite supported in the evangelical right wing. It's kind of the far, far right wing idea of how society should be. That is, women are always subservient to their men. They can be beaten. And there's no such thing as spousal rape because it's the woman do, woman's duty to submit and have sex with the man whenever he wants, whether she likes it or not. She has no say in whether she will become pregnant or not. Um, if there is a problem where her health is imperiled because of a pregnancy, too bad, you know. Yeah, I mean, in in, in that set of in that story, if you will, women are pretty much disposable. Well, that's what it seems to be for this quiverful movement, and you've got them on. I mean, that's the Duggars and everyone. They're you know they're part of that movement, and that's they're on national TV all the time. Yeah, and we know that they have a few things they did that they really don't like to talk about. <laughs> yeah, they got caught. I think it goes child back rape to, again. I, I think it goes back to what God they don't want it. us to do in the bathroom again. because they're going to do it. I guess they were it, the Duggars. These people again are diddling little kids. Yeah. What's the deal? Well, and I've even seen Christian brochures, not all Christians, there are some good ones, but some Christian brochures of, like, it's, it's a, 
women's Bible study layout and, and they give it to the, the women and their, their Bible groups and the men in their groups about how to talk about sex and how the wife, it's her duty to submit to the male. And there's Bible passages that, that support this and how to pray for your wife and have her get right with God if she's resisting. And it's, it's really, it's really, it looks very biblical. It looks very like Bible study ish, you know, in the format of it. And, and people have, you know, been spreading it around social media saying like, how do you, how do you feel about this? How do you talk to this? Like there are friends of mine that are in these, these Bible study groups. And I'm like, wow, wow. I'm glad we're using social media at least to come out about it because who knows how many private circles those things have been passed in as if you should just have it as a regular existence and you know, who knows? But I think if you really think about it, there's a lot of cultures in the world that do that. Sure. I mean, you know, what you just described, a burqa would probably help keep everyone really chaste and, mm. and that whole bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can go right back to Afghanistan or some of the other places where that's the way women are treated. Right. And the part I find interesting is that, you know, like in our country, they a lot of times will go vote for people that want to treat women that way. Yep. And, and I really don't understand that. Uh, you know, I, I just don't. And I think that that's one of the scary parts is that people seem to be co-opted into that. Now, the, I, I do have to say that that I get a little conflicted because from my standpoint, as long as something's consensual and they're adults, I'm pretty much okay with it. And if that's what somebody wants and likes, then I'm okay with it. I may not understand why they want or like that, but, uh, you know, that that's sort of my view of it. Uh, and, and, you know, usually we don't let people do a lot of the things that they might want, even though it is consensual. So, but that gets into an interesting, uh, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but, you know, what is free will in that context? I mean, so you have someone who is indoctrinated into basically a cult, a religious sexual cult that has rules about how you should, how, how often you should sexually please males around you. And, you know, and, and if you don't sexually please males, then your God is going to hate you and you're going to go to hell and burn for all eternity. If that is your belief, if you truly believe that, in what sense is that free will whenever you have sex? Because your, your, your choice is go to a lake of fire and burn for all eternity or have sex. If you decided to join it and... Knew what was going on, and what that's if you're what you born want. into it? If you're born into it, it's different because you really haven't had a choice, and, right. and that, that's where right. you know I see some some questions, if you will. But but you know, there's people that like all sorts of weird things. Now, sure. <laughs> the question right, is, you're choosing it—that's one thing. And and in this, in the sense of the the Handmaid's Tale, you know, it's it's very abrupt, and society's taken over. You know, and exactly, and, and the people who will cooperate. Uh, you know, go into a sense of slavery and she uses right. very real examples that already exist in the world to, you know, it's, it's, it's not something you can argue. You know, people do have genital mutilation to Absolutely. keep them in line and people do have, you know, are hung for being homosexual. Uh, these are real life examples 
And if you're somebody who's like born into a religious situation or a cult, if you will, then, I mean, you have it as if that is the norm until you see how the rest of society works. And sometimes people don't even get to see that. And if they do, they're sort of like excommunicated. You know, they lose everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think the thing about The Handmaiden's Tale is uh, just about everything in there does occur mm-hmm. today in, in various places. I mean, you have to sort of do a conglomeration of things around the world, but but it does occur. I mean, there are places where you are hung for being homosexual or pushed off of a building. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and the, and the author said that it the way she shaped it when she shaped it, which was years ago, they're just bringing the series out. Um, but for the book, a lot of her friends, you know, poo-pooed her efforts by saying, you know, you're being too dark. You know, you're making these things up. She was like, no, these things happen. I'm highlighting that it happens. I want people to be aware, you know. Um, but even people in today's uh, 2017 times, like, they argue for this doesn't happen. Well, really and, and that's, that's or the... Or it'll happen in the future. That's mm. the problem is that a lot of people are in denial. I mean, there is real dark stuff in the world. I mean, there really mm-hmm. is. And that doesn't mean that you don't go on with your life, etc. but you have to be aware of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people who do things that are brutal. There, you know, there are a lot of dictators that run their countries in ways that you just wish they wouldn't. I was watching a uh, some sort of a well, it was some talking head for Roy Moore's campaign, and the uh, anchor person was saying, "Okay, so would Roy Moore want homosexuality um, outlawed?" And his just was. Well, I believe so, that that would probably be it. Okay. And he's like, well, the thing, the thing is, we all need to get back to a biblical understanding of the law. And so the anchor person was like, well, so what would be the punishment for homosexuality? And a guy would not say stoning, but, you know, you could see. Well, but, you know, the, the problem is that when they say that, and I say they because that's the way I see them, you got to look at what, if, if you say you believe in the Bible and you want it to be biblical, etc., you need to go back to the real things the Bible says. They sort of edit the Bible, and, and that's where some of the problem comes in. And if you say you're a Christian, then a lot of the stuff that they like to pick on as the way you should run your life, I think Jesus said that's not the way we're going to do things anymore. Hmm. <laughs> you know? And so they aren't, it's like they're Christians, but they're cherry-picking. Well, yeah, I've, I've noticed that a lot of people who um, especially use the Bible as uh, a prop to support their a-priority bias, their hatred, uh, generally can't actually point to what, the, what they're, you know, they, they can say, well, my pastor told me that this is a sin, and that's about as good as you get. And it's really sort of fun to say... Could you find that for me? Because I really need to read it. <laughs> and, and, and I've done that. And, and, you know, and then just step back and let them look. Because most of them haven't found it. And well, they don't know where it is. Well, has a, a little key to tell you which passage you're actually reading. So they should be able to do this if they're reading it, right? <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't say what they said it says. Oh. That's the problem. Oh. <laughs> you know, it, it's sort of like there's some versions of the Constitution that you can buy online. Uh, you can buy them on Amazon. And 
some of the things in there don't say the same thing as the one that was like written a couple hundred years ago, say. Oh, man. They, they're sort of edited for clarity is the way they put it. <laughs> for oh, clarity. Yes, <laughs> edited clarity. for clarity oh, is, is clarity. It's the, the frame, the oh. phrase. And for instance, this whole bit about the right to bear arms, it reads differently when you edit it for clarity. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, and... It's and, like the Amazon black market. You have to look out well, for no, that. Well, it's right there. In fact, it's sort of the least expensive. Oh, Because yeah. they really want you to buy it. Of course, you know, Because of it's nothing but propaganda. Of course. And, and we were going to hand out a bunch of copies of the Constitution. So I got sort of one of everything to see which ones we wanted to hand out. And I'm like, wait, this isn't what this says. Edited for clarity. <laughs> and that's what it said. And, so and wait, 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 wait. So what you're saying is that when we had the Unity Banquet, one of the things that we gave away was copies of the Constitution? Absolutely. But like because the real we, one. <laughs> yes. But oh, it, wow. And then we Not decided... The news one. Yeah, we decided that ACLU was probably the safest <laughs> <laughs> version. Because it actually read... The same way as, like, the Constitution. Oh, that Constitution. That's part of that deep state thing I keep Probably. on hearing about. <laughs> and, you know, the thing I find interesting is that people like our president, and I say ours, you know, he's ours, like it or not, <laughs> yeah. um, keep forgetting the fact that that oath says that they're going to defend and protect the Constitution. <laughs> Well, you know, I guess somewhere in his mind, he's like, defend my understanding of the Constitution. And well, I think that for him, that understanding is whatever happens to be floating through his head at the moment. And, and the protect, I guess, could be protect my assets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, it's the way the sociopath would look at, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of a job. So, um so, hey, what have we been uh, doing with the archive? What's been going on? I, I saw that there's something, there's like some sort of fundraising thing going on. Yeah, we're, you know, generally what happens is if we find something we think we really would like to have in the archive, we do this sort of panic fundraising. And, oh, yes. And, and, and hope we can get enough money to buy it, and, you know, to acquire it before someone else does. And, and sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, et cetera. I think we've done that a couple of times. There was like a... Um, a couple? I a think it's way more than a couple. <laughs> we did that for the Lily LB painting yeah. original that we've got. We've got, there, we did that for a few paintings, I think. Uh-huh. And so what we're doing is we're doing a, what I would consider not a panic fundraiser, but we're doing a fundraiser so that we can have a, a, a bit of a pre-stage funding for oh, wait, 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 wait. sorts so of So you're things. saying we're going to plan something oh, as let's opposed don't get radical. to radical <laughs> maybe we're gonna build a fund <laughs> not it's what not is this and, and this is going to be a trans thing no well, we, and, this is not how things are done and and you know we, we have this bad habit of actually keeping track of these sorts of things now too <laughs> where we know what's going on but yeah you know the idea is to have just some money sitting there so if something comes up we'll certainly fundraise and say hey we're, we're trying to raise this to, to backfill but we can actually acquire something without having to spend you know a couple of weeks in in panic mode trying to raise the money and those sorts of things so so we hope that will work out and we'll start advertising it more after the first of the year so and go on with it just so everyone knows uh so this is the transgender archive in houston texas it was started oh about a decade ago now um i think in 2008 is whenever i donated the my collection um i thought it was longer than that well, I, I had been collecting stuff, um, and 
when we got the house on Fargo, which must have been in 2007 or 8. Okay. Um, I said, yeah, we, we really need the archive to be an archive. Uh, but it's, um, you know, the largest, most robust uh, archive in the community's hands, the trans community's hands. And it's just such a... I can't describe the sense of awe for me personally, you know, going through the archive, looking at the history, not and it and it's not just history from the 1990s or 80s or 70s or 60s or 50s or 40s or 30s. It's stuff from the 1600s. It's some stuff from different countries, you know, Africa and the southeast and you know, from every continent, well, except for uh, frozen places, but, you know. So we now have to get something from Antarctica. Okay, yeah, I got yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> I'm not sure what. But I mean, we've, we've got stuff from all over for spanning hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, and it's pretty remarkable. Statuary, um, all kinds of ephemera, um, textiles, paintings, um, and the interesting thing is that if you go through a box of it, currently it's not out on display because we don't really have a location, but we'll be working on that next year. And But if you go through a box and you reach in and you pull out a bag of the stuff that's in there or a handful or whatever you want to do, all of it is just really interesting. It is. And, and it's not what you expect. And then you're stuck for the afternoon going through it. <laughs> you know? I don't know any better way to put it. Uh, and the, you know, for instance, this summer we did the uh, history tent at the pride festival and the, the attendance was much higher than it's been in a long, 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 long time. So can you describe this history tent? Is yeah, it the, just like the, a, it, it, it's a tent. It has air conditioning. Oh, in, that's in, very in Houston important. In June, that is really important. Very important. And, and it's, sort of dry because it always rains <laughs> and um, there are several organizations that uh, provide history items to be displayed and discussed etc there's tables inside that sort of thing and we for several years have not participated because we weren't participating in the festival uh, mainly because of heat and other things right and, and it's moved so this year we participated and we had two tables and we had our things there and we got a lot of people stopping and talking about it. One of the things that we were told by several of the other groups is they were really, really glad that we were participating again because people were actually looking at our stuff and interested. And they gave us full credit for the numbers almost <laughs> doubling the previous high. And, and so it was sort of nice. I hadn't really thought about that. But a lot of the groups were exhibiting this year our stuff. And by our <laughs> stuff, I mean TFA, HTUG, the things that we've produced over the years oh, as, wow. as, their, as their history, which was neat. But That's it was awesome. Great. And they're highlighting like trans history and the stuff that we produced. Yeah. And, and, and then if you go through the archives, one of the things you find out is that, well, we did produce a lot of things. <laughs> well, and, and, and kind of it's, it's tangential to... Uh, the whole trans history discussion, but here in Houston, we've had uh, queer programming on the radio since the 70s. And as I understand it, um, let's say queer voices in Houston has been going on since the 1980s. I, I think so. I couldn't get anybody to give me a definitive date. They seem to disagree, but it's that area. Yeah, and, and, and apparently Jack Falinski 
was the one who was behind specifically Queer Voices. Yeah, a lot of it. And then it's like the cast of thousands after that. Right, and, of course. You know, our, our former mayor, Anise Parker, was involved with it. Jennifer <laughs> Poole was involved with it. J.D. Doyle. And these oh, are all J. names e. that if you're from Houston, you sort of know. <laughs> right, right. And so uh, I, I understand that... Okay, so their parent company is going through some issues. And there is this possibility that the the station might have to go off air um, and it would be just such a loss to our heritage as a community to lose that resource, um, Queer Voices. And so I understand that we're taking some efforts, taking some steps to preserve that, yeah? We are. We now have um, a fundraiser started that is Friends of Queer Voices. And the reason we're doing Friends of Queer Voices is that as it currently sits, if people donate to Queer Voices, that money just goes into the corporate pot of money. And, and disappears. And, and they're, they're, <laughs> they're currently having to pay a lot of back bills, shall we say. And, and no one knows whether Pacifica is going to make it or not. And so in case, and it's a purely in case, uh, something goes wrong on that end of it, then we want to make sure that uh, there's some money around to fund them moving to other media and, and getting back up with almost a seamlessness, if you will. So so we're going to start collecting money. It'll just be held for now. And if, if they have some specific needs that come up that can't be met by Pacifica, because right now there's there's no money available for oh, that, right, right. Then, we, then we might also do something with that. But the idea is that if something goes wrong, we'll be able to cover it and go forward. Now, if at some time in the future, the, the folks with queer voices say, okay, everything seems to be stable now, life is good, we mm-hmm. don't need this, then what we're going to do is donate half of it to the Trans Archive Fund, oh, which we okay. just mentioned, and the other half will donate to whoever the queer voices people tell us they'd like it donated oh, to. fantastic. <laughs> and so, you know, we'll just roll it out that way and, and go on forward with it. Uh, so we'd, we would encourage people to go to our website, tfahouston.com, and you'll see a little article there. Then we'll be working on some wonderful websites for both of these things to tell you why you should donate probably around the first of the year because we have several things going on okay. between now and, and then. I think what I'll want to do is get an article up on the Trans Advocate about both of those efforts because I think that they're just really important. I mean, Queer Voices was like the place that, uh, what I think it was... So I was living in Galveston, Texas, and one day I was just kind of going through the radio channel, and as I was turning the dial, I heard transsexual <laughs> went back, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my God!" and and I called in. Now I was in Galveston, Texas, which is like fifty miles from the transmitter, and uh, it was not getting a very good signal. So I would call in and say, hey, can you put me on hold so I can listen and sit on long distance from Galveston listening into Houston? Um, And that was one of the first places that I was actually able to talk to another trans person. And they've also, when when we've had things going on that we needed to let people know about, they're really good at letting us get on the air. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. They're always (laughs) They're they're awesome. They've always been awesome. And and so you know we we basically want to make sure that if there's any way possible we can support them. And so that that's you know the approach that we're taking is to say you know let let's just have some fun set aside. And, and in I love case. that is this is like a community approach to dealing with a problem that could affect the community. 
I, I love that we're you know being proactive and not reactive, and that we're kind of going at this with a plan. It, it's very Wait, much a like plan? our yeah, yeah, I know exactly. it's weird. Like a <laughs> we're is, trans organization. We're doing all this stuff planning. <laughs> oh God, building into it. Well, I wonder. You know, since since um, the expansion over time, I know that they have their own archive that people can go and look at, you know, uh, on 90.1 queer voices. And I wonder how much, uh, how many listeners they have, like how far in the world their reach is, because, you know, I mean, I haven't asked. Yeah. That would be interesting (laughs) to know. Yeah. I don't know. And gosh, it would be nice if, uh, it would be nice if uh, Jack or somebody had some old tapes of some of the original Queer Voices shows. That would be just amazing. I've heard some of the early ones, mm. and um, they could use a little cleaning up, shall we say? <laughs> and I'm not talking the language; it probably could use some cleaning up too. But, probably but the quality, but, but the quality is is interesting. Mm-hmm. Ah, but okay. but I, I know they do have them. So the old Ferris tapes, huh? Yeah, and then they were converted, of course, to digital, and that was done sort of early in the oh. uh, analog to digital type conversion, et cetera. And that I goes bet JD to... has some some things. Oh, I'm sure yeah. JD does. I I have a I have an shout asked out to him. JD. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I was thinking that you know sometime after the first of the year, who knows? Maybe we get Brian or Jack or one of the other people to yeah. sort of sit in on our podcast. Sounds good. Oh, that would be awesome. And, and I have no idea what they'd say, <laughs> but we never have they'd any idea hi. what they'd say. Yeah, they'd say and, hi. And, and it's always mutual because they have no clue what we're going to say when we go on the show either. So, And that's usually because we don't know what we're going to say when we go well, on the show. Well, you know, I, I think we were having some discussion in our little Facebook group about what we might want to talk about. Um, and I think we had talked about possibly some fear uh kind of Ooh, looking at the topic my, of fear. My, my favorite topic <laughs> so yeah i mean lord knows fear is something that as a trans person i became very intimately you know aware of and dealt with on a daily minute by minute basis especially whenever i was facing transition Back in the 90s, before I really had a community, um, it was pretty awful. And, you know, one thing that I learned about fear is fear is usually a story that I'm telling myself about what might happen, what could happen, what possibly could happen. And what really happens tends to not be as bad as I was thinking. Sometimes it is. Um, but most of the time it's not. And so the question I try to remind myself whenever I'm in fear, feeling fear is, am I, do what is, is the issue that I just believe the stories I'm telling myself about what if? So, I mean, how did you deal with fear? How do you deal with fear specifically with trans issues? Well, one of the big things with fear is that you know, it's real and it's not real. I mean, a lot of people unfortunately think that if they fear something or if they have, if they're afraid of a, a situation, that that's now real. That's what's happening, and, and it, it's mm. something that needs to be acted upon. Well, you know, fear's cautionary, nothing else. Right. Uh, one of the big things was for I don't know, forty years, I taught scuba diving. If you have no fear of the water, you have no fear of looking stupid, you have no fear of failure, it takes 
very, very, very little time to teach you to scuba dive. <laughs> That's why we have these really long classes, because none of those things exist in most people. Um, the, the, the fear problem is, is really horrendous when you get to the actual water part of it. Mm-hmm. And, and so we learn ways to deal with it. And in fact, the, my particular business, we were very, very good at it. So we got a lot of people that, that needed more help than others. And one of the things that you find is that if people address their fear, it doesn't necessarily go away. But at least they understand it. I mean, I have some fears that are just built in. I'm afraid of inviting people to things, <laughs> which the people around here know this. That is a pretty irrational fear. <laughs> I know that. And but just key, knowing that doesn't fix it. <laughs> it doesn't fix it. I'm still afraid of it, et cetera. But I can work around it, and I actually invite people. I mean, that's the reason that uh, I'm having a birthday soon. And uh, the main reason that no invitation have gone out for my party is because... <laughs> <laughs> Did I mention I'm afraid to invite people? <laughs> but but I'll get there. <laughs> it just takes some working through. The, the problem comes when people strike out because they're afraid. Guys, they're afraid these people that are different than them are going to do fill in the blank. It doesn't matter mm. what it is. Mm-hmm. So that means I've got to hurt them to stop them from doing it. Mm. Well, hang on a minute. Right. That's the logical leap that people make. Mm. And, and that's where the problem comes in. And so you, know, you, you got to back off and say... Fear's okay. It's good. It's warning you. I mean, it, it's from way, way, way back in history. It's saying, hey, you got to look around, think about this, but don't turn off the rationals part of your mind. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's the part that concerns me. Uh, you see all this stuff that's happening in the legislature, and somewhere along the line, there's a bunch of fear thrown in because that's what they're trying to generate. Sure. Now, now, the people that are pushing it, I don't think they're the least bit afraid of what they say they are. I think it's just the issue that they're pushing either to get more campaign funds or to pay off some campaign yeah, it's debts. some red, red meat. Yeah. And, you know, the fact is that right now we, the trans community, are sort of the last bastion of people they can pick on. They mm-hmm. picked on everyone else and lost you know, first it was race. Well, actually, before that, it was, uh, gen- well, sex as opposed to gender, male, female. And then they lost that. And then they lost the race thing. And then they lost the the gay side of it pretty yeah. much. And so we're it. We're left. Mm-hmm. And I think they're totally panicked that they may lose us. I'm not sure who they're no, going to pick I, on I just want to put a pin on this for just a second and remind folks that as 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 recent as 1974, it used to be that a woman cannot open a checking account without a male cosigner. So we went from 1974 to that, that that's the experience for women in our culture to now trans people being the last people that they can pick on. Yeah, we're getting there. Now, you know, I think we're taking a big step back with the Trump administration and all mm. his stuff, but I think it'll be short-lived. Uh, I know when my mother first came to Texas, in Illinois, you could certainly own property if you were a female. And when she came to Texas, she was not happy finding out that she had to get her husband to sign for her checking (laughs) accounts. That would be an understatement. Uh, And so her money never came to Texas. God, that's crazy. So, Robin, what about you and fear? One of the things that I dealt with in fear was... um, you know, when I came into the community, there was a transgender center. And so I always hung out there. I always hung out in community. And what I quickly found out was, is, um, you know, I just eliminated waste, eliminated waste to go anywhere else. And, um, 
I have found that a lot of people maybe didn't fit in with community and then they would isolate and I would try to go and check in on them and just like bring community to them because if you can't hang out in community and you can't hang out, um, you know, with your family or your church or your job because you're in transition, then I mean, who are are you, who's going to keep company with you, you know? So, um, I have always been somebody who brings community with me because I don't want to be alone. You know, when we talk about hormone transition or medical transition, even if I had a safe space in community, like what am I going to do when I have to travel? What am I going to have to do when I have to go to a truck stop bathroom? Like these things I really considered and, uh, and looked at in sort of an illogical way of, well, I can't, um, prove that I'm going to be safe based upon current evidence. So I'm just going to stay as safe as I currently am in my body, in my mind. And, uh, that got to be, it got to a point in my life where that wasn't enough to tell you the truth. And I was at a unity banquet one year and there was someone who was speaking about how policy gets created. And when they don't know how to create policy, they go to community agreement for words and terminology and what's the common agreement. And that really spoke to me because I am somebody who, you know, can generate community, can generate groups, can be around groups because I didn't want to be alone. And so uh, a few friends of mine decided to write a book where we generated what common agreement was. That's where the gender book came in is not telling people what the right answers were, but getting community agreement page per page, term per term on like, what is trans? What are the identities and how do we build a life around it? Like, how can your employers support you? How can your loved ones support you? How can your friends support you? And so my main thing was to build more allies. Um, and when we build more allies, we build more safety in my mind. That was where I was going with it. And when we don't, when we fear something as humans and we don't know what to do, like what Alexis was saying is we jump to protecting ourselves or causing violence or making them do what we want them to do. That's, that's the human sort of reptilian brain from what I understand. And if we can put education there and we can put people who you know, don't have problems with trans peoples and create allies, then I figured I was just creating more safety. You know, that's a good point. And one of the things I think people miss about fear is it can be very deadly. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, currently we have what I would consider an epidemic of overuse of deadly force by Mm -hmm. authorities. Right. Almost all of that, when you hear what the people say, they were afraid of and right. fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And so they killed someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that seems to be like a get-out-of-jail-free card, as long as they can say they were afraid. Well, the, the standards for deadly force use have changed. And the standards used to be that you had to be in imminent danger of severe bodily injury, or there had to be a situation where someone else was in imminent danger. A few years back about the time they started deploying all the military stuff to the police and like that, a lot of places changed it that you had to be in fear of imminent danger. Well, you know, the thing I keep saying is that if I'm a police officer and I'm a single officer in a single car and I get a call and it's a dark street and there's a door open on a warehouse and I hear someone screaming inside and I go in, I would be crazy not to be afraid. Sure. I mean, I'm starting out afraid and if I'm not, like I said, I'm crazy. But at that point, under that 
law or that interpretation of a standard. You're already where all, you need to be. You already can kill people and get away with it because you're afraid. And and I know several people who have been on juries, you know, related to this, and people have been unhappy with the jury verdicts, but the juries are like, you know, the law and the rules they followed. So we couldn't do anything. And and that's where I think some of the problem is, you know, fear is never a good reason to justify causing harm to other people. Uh, facts are, but fear is not necessarily a fact. Because, I mean, again, I'm sorry if I was suddenly going to be allowed to kill people because I'm afraid to invite them to things. <laughs> it sort of yeah. solves the invite problem, right. but it's just not okay. <laughs> you well, know? you know, so whenever I was, I mean, my, my fear around transition was really uh, just very practical stuff. I, I felt fear all the time, all the time. And that's one of the reasons why uh, I formed TFA um, you know, it started out as a group kind of south of Houston, but did a lot of work in Houston um, because there was really no community. And this was still back when there wasn't a lot of Internet out there. You know, people were using the Internet, but, you know, it wasn't like it is now. And so meeting face to face was really, really, really important and we started having meetings down there. We started an, uh, an FTM group. Um, and that's kind of how things got going. But every day, you know, I would spend hours getting ready to go outside. And it wasn't because, you know, I wanted, you know, to be a diva or anything. It was really because I was afraid that if someone saw me or went, oh, God, that's a tranny, that... I would wind up like some of the people that I'd known, that is, dead or beaten. Exactly. And and I, I had exactly the same experience. And, you know, it would be the back and forth and back and forth. And but wait, wait a second. Now, here's, here's the thing that I think is really important that I would love for us to cover. Even though you're feeling that level of fear, and I know for me it was palpable just oh, going yeah. out the door. Oh, yeah. How the hell did you manage to walk past that to 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 do things in spite of back in the 60s you were out there with lee brewster oh, yeah. in new york and we where were being cops hunted. were beating people left and, and right and arresting people and yep. outing people in the media and you were doing trans activism way before stonewall right and you just decide uh i gotta be me it's simple mm -hmm. and it takes a while and one of the things that's really funny is that you know, maybe I've been someplace, you know, running around or I'm getting ready to go out for the night and I walk out my front door to check the mail, you know, just not thinking about anything. And all of a sudden I'll get this same set of fear. will just pop in and say, right. oh, gosh, what if someone sees? And it's like, I don't care. Everybody knows. <laughs> but, right. but it's still there. Right. And, and it's that same fear of someone will see me and do something bad to me. I mean, this time last year, talk, we were having some real seasonal depression knowing who our new president <laughs> right? was. I mean, we weren't going to be like with her and expressed and all this other stuff. I mean, you know, and a year into it, I feel like we're at least three, five years back in protection and safety uh, yeah. and fear, yeah, and, right? And, and, and yeah, and that's the part that worries me is that a lot of people haven't figured out that they need to be a little bit more careful. I'm not saying they should stop anything they're doing. The good side of it, though, is that we have more people 
motivated, energized, and getting out mm-hmm. and letting their representatives know what they think than I've ever seen, period. I mean, we, we have as many people as we ever had around Vietnam and the Vietnam War. It's, it's less violent, but this is something that's very protective of the people who might not really understand that they're putting themselves at risk, which is a good thing. Oh, yeah. We would do trans lobby days, and there would be like a group of five yeah, and we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Exactly. <laughs> well, and exactly. now we just had two trans men in Texas, you know, put their hat in to run. So, I mean, I would love for these trans kids to go talk about their trans rights with their trans representative. Like, I mean, I hope that that'd be a great future Could that we're imagine? walking towards, I mean, you know? What I wouldn't have given to be a trans kid and know that my representative, you know, has walked this path and that it's okay mm-hmm. and that they're just, you know... They, they grew up to be uh, a legislative person. That would be amazing to me. And we actually have five trans people running in Texas. Wow. <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. And then, you know, two of them are trans men who are very out. Uh, both of them, I think, <clears throat> if I... Yeah, well, one certainly, and I believe the other one, uh, had some problems with the push to be visible. But... It's sort of like, okay, if uh, it doesn't work out for you and you lose your job and you have to do some other things, I guess that means you can run for the Texas legislature. (laughs) (laughs) We also, in addition to that, have a lot of people running for the legislature that have never done anything in politics before. And they are very, very, very equality positive. I Mm. love that. I mean, I love that. Just being, I can, I, I love that youth can grow up in seeing that, that's possible. Like it would be great if that was their norm because fear does shape your decisions. Oh, it does. And, and a neat thing about a lot of the people who are running is that, uh, people have been working to make sure that every slot that's empty is filled so that everyone is challenged, uh, that, Mm. that might not be equality minded. And some of these candidates on that are incumbents are very, very, very weak, but they've just never had anyone run against them. Uh, and now, guess mm-hmm. what? They have people running against them right. who are passionate, have hundreds of people supporting them, <laughs> and it, it will just be very, very, very interesting to see what happens. So, I mean, one of the biggest tools for fear for me is to get into facts, get into community, don't but what do you isolate. Mean by that? Get into facts. Well, like just what Alexis was saying right now, for an example, is you know it's. If you look at Alabama, let's say, last night, and you see all the haters, if you will, that were really excited about the next pedophile to be elected, (laughs) like some of our community might stay home. Some of our community might let that build up in their mind, you know? Um, But if you really got into a broader picture of, um, say, five trans people running for Texas, you know, uh, the youth coming out with you know, parents that are supportive. Like if, if you look at sort of the movement towards the world that we want to live in, a lot of times that brings me into like, a, it literally allows me to walk around in life and live, you know, that brings mm. me into a right sized reality, if you will, instead of just the media um, blowing things up and right. believing all the, 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 what do you the storm that they want us to believe the yeah, crap the that they want us to believe storm. the trans panic storm so i mean it, participating in things like this listening to real facts and um and actually asking the questions like where are we at in in 
and the way the decades have unfolded, where are we at in progress in reality? You know, what does protection look like? What is a healthy sense of fear? Like for me, asking these questions instead of sitting in my head and trying to figure it out myself mm. and only relying on Facebook or, you right. know, you know, I mean, you have to, you have to get your sources from different places too, to switch up your facts. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things too, is you sort of have to understand that, you know, the world's not safe. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's, that's a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, now the question is, is it more, is it safer or is it less safe for us than it is for non-trans people? Mm-hmm. Well, it was getting close to about the same, which is all you can ask right. for. I mean, you know, you can't say, gosh, I shouldn't be able to get into a car wreck. <laughs> you right, know? right. You know, it's used to car right. wrecks. It just happened. <laughs> right. And I appreciate that. So, I mean, sitting at Transgender Day of Remembrance, when I look at the, the numbers of people who have had hate crimes this year, has it gone up? Yes. In comparison to what? Well, I mean, the last five I went to, that's those are real numbers but when i sit there and think about well what's my odds of getting in a car accident in houston i mean i have more to worry about when i'm driving absolutely and and so the the question is to keep it in balance and yes. and you know you decide to go ahead and accept the risk with a with you know of a car accident now mm-hmm. the the risk of being on the streets and open and out as a trans person it i think it is it's more risky now than it was say three years ago I don't think it's so risky that, you know, you have to sort of go away, but for some people it might be. And right. so, you know, that, that, that's the whole thing. You have to sort of keep it in perspective and, and think about what's going on. One of the concerns I have are, are the people who are fairly new because they really have no way of looking at the perspective. I mean, all three of us sitting here have been around for a while. I think, mm-hmm. you know, Rob, Rob, mm-hmm. Robin's the least of us been around <laughs> oh, for a yeah. while. And you've but been around still. a decade. Yeah, a decade. <laughs> exactly. <And> so, <laughs> that's so, a good chunk know. of change, a decade. Come on. Like, <laughs> right. I can weigh in a little bit. <laughs> exactly. And so... You know, what I look at is someone who's, you know, been out and being themselves a little bit for, say, three or four years. Well, they, they really don't have any history. And so they hear some of the stuff and they either panic or they're like, oh, it'll never happen to me. Both of which are the wrong approach. Right, right. <laughs> you know, the never happened to me. Oh, you're just setting yourself up and, and those sorts of things. Because if you do anything that never happened to me might happen. I mean, mm-hmm. we just there in Houston had uh, the Galleria is a great big shopping mall. If you aren't from Houston, we just had eight armed people run into one of the big hotels, grab an ATM and leave with it yesterday. Mm. And then Whoa. they did it to another hotel in the same general area today. Wow. And, and so, you know, if you, <laughs> if you were involved in that, that's what never happened to me, but it did to a lot of people who saw it, and, and nobody got hurt or anything, So, and, and they haven't caught them yet, or at least they hadn't earlier today. But I was like, you know, stuff happens. Well, right. one, of the re- one of the ways that I deal with fear and had dealt with fear, especially around being trans, is getting involved in my community. You know, it's it's one thing to sit at home and stew and worry and, you know, can I get a job, blah, 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 blah. But it's another to actually go out, meet other community members, get involved, and and figure out that, you know, things can change, that you can affect change. You are not powerless. You can find community. You can work towards change. And certainly, if I did it, anyone could do it, yep. because I was pretty terrified all the time. Um, and you know, I, I like to say that community saved my life because it, it literally did, Mm -hmm. 
very much, um, you know, there was, there came a point where it seemed like suicide was very much the most rational option. And it was, it was, uh, an intervention from community back in the nineties that it, that's the reason why I'm sitting here today. Um, well, humans so- aren't made to isolate. Like we're, we, we need some social interaction. We need some hope, something to live into. So that's a very reasonable place that a lot of people get to, you know, and I'm glad they have more hotlines today. I'm glad they have more social, uh, outlets today because it it, it is hard to get out of your own mind and get into a a connection and not everyone Mm -hmm. has access to like support groups or people in person, but, you know, you can go ahead and tell one on yourself and come back out because we don't want to lose you. Yeah, and I'm not sure we have more today. Oh, really? Okay, well, weigh in. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we've had, you know, we have some hotlines. Sure. Uh, and, and those sorts of things. But, for instance, one of the things that I've been thinking about a fair amount is that for a very long time we did uh, essentially go out to dinner on Wednesday nights. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh-huh. And, you know, anybody was welcome. And we normally had people who were newly out. Mm-hmm. With oh, us. Okay. Sometimes they didn't know how to behave in public all that well. <laughs> they they didn't exactly look as great as they thought they did. It happens. But Social anxiety. We pretty much took care of them and sort of worked them into sure. being mm-hmm. comfortable and made sure they were safe. And well, over the last few years, we just haven't been doing that at all because it wasn't necessary. Right. People could just do their own thing, and it was pretty safe. And I was thinking that. It might be back to where we need to start doing more hands-on things sure, like that sure. because we're moving backwards. So. Right, right. Well, and for people who are differently abled or incredibly shy or just, you know, can't get out of their homes, there have been, for better or for worse, there have been connections made through um, social media oh, platforms sure. where oh, they yeah. can ask questions, they can cause people to call them, you know, um, they can Skype with them. Those, those are little things that go a long way when you live, you know, the country mile of separation too. Like you don't always have gas money to get somewhere. And, and I mean, that human connection is very great, but I'm, I'm just glad for sort of the electronic connection that some people use sometimes. For new people, um, that I would talk to, I'd say, you know, do a couple of things, you know, that is go to meetings, meet different types of trans people, mm-hmm. you know, don't go into this thinking that there's only one way to transition. You have the yep. destination, your mind, get a good therapist in your corner. Yep. A good therapist in your corner is invaluable. Mm-hmm. Find someone in the community that you connect with and, um, you know, they've, they seem to have walked the path that you think you probably want to walk and, and find someone who you can call at three o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. when your world is falling down around you mm-hmm. and you just really need to talk. It's always at three in the morning. Right? It is. It is. And you I've know? had those phone calls. I, yeah. I'm good with three. Right. right. <laughs> it's at four thirty when that kills me because I'm just barely and these, asleep. These are great. I had these suggestions too. Uh, the lady who ran a GSA in college, she said, you know, Always have someone, three people that you can call at any hour, and don't mm. you dare make bullshit phone calls. That's right. And I said, well, what does that mean? And she's like, 
you know, if your ass is on fire, it's really on fire. That's right. You know, and <laughs> and you and, know it's on fire. Yeah, and you I know mean, when it's and, not and on really, fire. And really, really be honest about it. You know, and don't wear out your support group. And right. these are really good things to take on. I and after the Unity Banquet, I did give someone my phone number to call if there was a problem. And I did get a 3.30 in the morning call just to see if I'd answer the phone. always at 3.30 in the morning, yeah. And I'm like, I answered the phone, but you only mm-hmm. get one of these. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, and, and then if you want to make friends who work the night shift, then great. You know, they're so, great to call. So if people wanted to get involved in some of the things that are going on, what can they do? Well, we do have the Monday night support group that meets mm. here in Houston, and they do go out to very delicious cake afterwards, yes. as we have mentioned on some podcasts. <laughs> and um, we, we as we've to mentioned to today, we right. might need to go they out need more to often. Le- they need to at least give us cake. We might that. we might exactly. need to go out more often. And um, and actually, we'd like to take this uh, podcast into public. You know, um, so we'll, well see. There you go. So those are some ways to get involved. Yeah, and and I think. The biggest thing is we always need volunteers. Yeah, oh, yeah. volunteer. Yeah. I mean, that's yes. a beautiful way to get and, in community. And the, and the biggest thing that we need volunteer-wise is continuing volunteers. Right, mm-hmm. right. Somebody that, that wants to pick up and, and move on through and do a lot of stuff. You can support just, with emails. You can look at our archive stuff. You just can help about anything it. you like want to do, Anything you want to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you, if you write... If you find that you write well, you know, there's the trans advocate. We're always looking for uh, new talent. Um, so if you have writing that you want to do, uh, you want to do some investigative uh, journalism, you want to do some theoretical work and put out a mile long think piece like I do. Narration. <laughs> yeah, if you find narration. that you do not write well and you Lord, and you, you don't Lord. even read well and you don't have any time and you're physically incapable of so showing who would up you anywhere. Be talking about? No. <laughs> no I, right. If you're listening to a podcast, you can like our podcast. You uh-huh. can share enthusiasm. Like one of the most amazing heartwarming things that people did during Harvey for our trans relief fund was send love through comments. They said, yes. you know, love and solidarity, you know, stay through this. We're, we're, we're sending our thoughts. Like if you send those sort of inspirational things, you know, to us, to people that is in your reach, you bring community to them. That is a social connection that, you know, that's what some people have in their capacity to do. And if mm-hmm. you think you're much better at anything on the air than we are, give us a call. Absolutely. We'll give you a microphone. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As uh, you know, we have that uh, telephone line up on the Trans Advocate. I don't remember it, but it's there. <laughs> Just go there. You can, uh, or you can give listen, us a call. You can listen to the rap song or video. It's in there, oh, too. Oh, yes, yes. That, that's right. <laughs> and um, let's see. So... God, that's about everything. That's about and, everything. And if you are a victim of some sort of a disaster, um, please remember that we have the Transgender Disaster Relief Fund. Um, that means that if you are an ally, if you're trans, if you're intersex, if you are genderqueer, and you have suffered uh, a disaster... Please. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. I figured I'd interrupt this whole thing a <gasps> little bit. This is amazing. Okay, so um, when I, let me just finish this pitch for the... Uh, okay, so uh, TDR Fund, 
Uh, .us is where you can go to get help or support the disaster relief fund. But what just what just landed in my lap here are these amazing pins for the trans advocate. Um, oh, this is great. When did these come in? I had no idea that this was a thing. Well, about three days ago. Oh, my God. So how can people get these? I have no clue yet. Uh, we're going <laughs> to put them up online. Too. If you're a volunteer a... that would like to set up a merch site. No. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. And, and you know, the problem is you have to be willing to do the shipping. <laughs> we'll, right. we'll pay, but you know, when, when you sell stuff and it stacks up 11 feet high waiting to be shipped, it's just not a good thing. <laughs> Oh, these are so cool. Oh, the, and, and it looks so great. I, I really loved our, our new logo. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> you, you can show Robin why. Oh, here. I love it. This is great. So, so far we've gotten logos, hip-hop songs with music videos. <laughs> right? <Are> you professional? <laughs> wow. Oh, this is so great. So, I mean, if you have any ideas that we could, would, should be doing and you're willing to actually do it, like, uh, go, ahead, that's, that's the go ahead and email us. Like, it, we put the co in community. Like, it, it's right. not just us. It's all of us. Like, let's let's go to our website, TFA houston.com and and email us see what we're doing and see how you can add to it all right y'all i guess we'll see you next week yeah Yeah. next week there's one of those yes there's a next week Uh, let's (laughs) hope so i mean roy moore did not win so perhaps life is is good we're getting ready for elections here in texas so i think this is all good then it sounds really great all right see y'all next week Bye. bye If you like hearing Trans Advocate essays and podcasts, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play and Stitcher. Please rate and review us. This really helps our work become more visible. If you have any comments or suggestions for who we should interview next on our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter or through our contact form at transadvocate.com. Alternatively, you can call our tip line at 708 274 7826. If you're a member of the trans, intersex or genderqueer community and need help because you're a victim of an officially declared disaster, you can get it at our Trans Disaster Relief Fund at tdrfund.us. If you're a trans or a trans ally and are currently going to college or trade school, you can apply for one of our scholarships. Moreover, if you need help getting the word out about your trans community fundraiser, we'd love to help you get the word out. The Trans Advocate is a project of the Transgender Foundation of America, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Lastly, remember to always register and vote no matter what. Advocate podcast was produced by Kristen Williams and is copyright by the Transgender Foundation of America, all rights reserved. The Transgender Foundation of America is not responsible for the opinions or comments by individual participants.